Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's Monday. I hope you're all waking up, you got your coffee and everything. Uh, but Monday, June 26th, and today we have special guests. We have Tien from Pendle, who is here to uh, talk about the Pendle Wars that have been kicking off. And so before we get into that, maybe Tien, you could give us a little small uh, introduction to Pendle and what you guys are doing. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So Pendle is a yield tokenization and trading protocol. And what it does is fundamentally establishing a venue for users to hedge or speculate on DeFi yields. So among the use cases are um, fixed rates. So if someone wants to obtain fixed rates on, let's say, STETH, Pendle is an option and a venue to do that. And if a user wants to speculate on the yield of these, uh, some of these assets like STETH or RETH at a relatively capital efficient manner, um, Pendle is also a venue for that. Yeah. So just to be just to be clear again on that, so there's a you can either be fixed. Essentially, you can take a fixed rate or you can take a floating rate, right? Correct. Okay, cool. So there's a lot of collaterals that you guys have added. Most of them are the, all the LSD stuff, uh, like Fraxeth and uh, Steth and Areth. Um, and yeah, so the oh, there's yeah. also some like stable coins on there as well too. It's a so. very disappointing time in the Pendle world because back when I remember, we used to have like amazing opportunities like Ohm forks in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think OM was actually very interesting. We knew the Olympus team pretty way back. Um, and this was when they were offering like six, seven, like six digits. Uh, yeah. I think when, when, when they launched, um, our team was actually very inspired to list the OM token and allow the speculations or like the hedging of the yield for that asset. But we never really came to it because of the gas price and the gas consideration on Ethereum. And instead, we went ahead with Wonderland Time on Avalanche. So we had something equivalent, but on a different ecosystem. And that asset contributed the most significant volume that we've seen back in 2021. Uh, and, and this was, sorry, 2022, January. This was when uh, 0x Sifu was getting docs and the future of the protocol was very uncertain. And then that's when we saw a lot of trading activities around the YT and, 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 and PT. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, on average, like we were seeing maybe six, seven million dollars in trading volume a day during then. Yeah. Well, the reason I bring up the Ohm forks, and I actually didn't even know that you guys launched for Wonderland. I just was thinking of Redacted or for Butterfly, but um, the like for people who are like having trouble understanding why um like people might care about fixed versus floating rates um first of all i can tell that you've never been in DradFi before but second of all um like it's it can be hard to see with uh liquid stake derivatives right because like what we're really talking about is like the change from like five percent to three percent and then like bouncing back and forth in between them um, whereas like what the ohm forks were like the perfect example to show like the power of this kind of protocol and like what 
breaking apart principal and yield allows like type of speculation because those APRs were so high and so volatile. And so um, I, I encourage anyone who like wants to understand more to go look back and read about what was happening on Pendle uh, during Wonderland and time. But that is hopefully for all of us, like an era in the past and we've moved on from it. And so um, I think now like what we're here to talk about is like this new era of Pendle that we're entering into, which is um, the Pendle Wars. So Tian, would you like kind of give us a little bit of uh, background on like what's going on, how Pendle can be used as a platform and what we're starting to see already? Yeah, sure. So with regards to um, Pendle War, this is something relatively recent because we launched, I mean, like uh, we launched the product in June, 2021. So this was like our first iteration. It, it, it was a relatively difficult product to understand because it was new and there was no precedent. So we were, we had a lot of assumptions on the product design. Um, but that said, with, with the observations of user behavior and also feedback that we've gotten from the community, a good part of 2022 was going back to the whiteboard to redesign the protocol without changing the general direction um, and implemented utilities for the token. So with the launch of V2 end of last year, we have the VE Pendle in place. Now, VE Pendle is actually very much inspired by VE Curve. So there are three utilities, right? So Pendle itself does not have any utility, but when it's locked up for a duration between one week and two years, you get VE Pendle. And VE Pendle can, uh, VE Pendle is a yield booster. So if you're a liquidity provider on Pendle, with sufficient VE Pendle, um, you can see uh, up to two and a half times of yield boosting. And, and then secondly, it also functions as a, a voting right. So because every week, Pendle has a budget for liquidity incentive. And this these voting, voting rights uh, in the form of VE Pendle can dictate how the incentives are distributed across the pools that are that are currently uh, live on Pendle. And the third functionality is as a claim for the protocol reward. So with all these things considered, right, the, then it makes sense for protocols to build on top of Pendle because it is generally more capital efficient to, um, to, to provide liquidity and also for the, the Pendle uh, some, some, some liquidity providers might not necessarily want to lock up their pendle for VE pendle, but yeah. instead they just want to provide liquidity. And then there are other groups of users that have pendle, but don't provide liquidity. Um, they can find, uh, they, they can utilize that pendle for additional yield. So this is where the other protocols like Equilibria, PenPy, and StakeDAO are setting themselves up to capitalize on all these different opportunities across the different participants in the ecosystem um, to offer something meaningful to the users. So with these players in place, if you're a liquidity provider, but you don't want to undertake any kind of direction, uh, like, like token exposure, then you can deposit the asset through either Equilibria, PenPy, or StakeDAO and get the yield booster. And then mm -hmm. on the other hand, if you have Pendle, um, and you want additional yield, you can stake Pendle uh, for M Pendle or SD Pendle or mm -hmm. E Pendle. 
um, and, and get additional APY on top of that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, no. So super clear. And I think like anyone familiar with uh, like how the curve system works, like will it's just like vibing with what you're saying already. I think um, what, you know, with our limited amount of time, rather than like continuing to work, talk through how, you know, blank war system works, it would be really interesting to hear, um, you know, so Pendle specifically is this uh, protocol that provides this utility of, you know, providing fixed yield rates and like splitting variable rates. Um, and, and so like, what are the use cases uh, that you think that like protocols are going to want to use Pendle for so that like they're going to be thinking about accumulating Pendle and like uh, thinking about participating in these wars. Yeah, I think it would make sense for protocols to to um, bribe. So subsequently, I think we will likely see bribe markets. Um, so for example, when we launch a new pool that that involves uh, a new ETH LSDs, they can effectively um, bribe. The, the votes to channel more incentives to their pool to increase uh, the APY, which attracts like TVL to the pool. Um, I think subsequently when the, so, so the bribe market is already uh, undergoing audits. It should be live in a couple of weeks. Uh, when that happens, then I can see more participants in the form of protocols taking part in um, like this, this different values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think so, I think one of the integrations that shows that really well is because I think it's a bit of an arbitrary concept, especially at the beginning, even at the curve wars, about how <laughs> how this can kind of lead to that. So you know, um, I think one integration that kind of shows it really well that I've seen is is with Camelot, right? Camelot and Pendle. Now you can see that the Pendle pools that have been created have essentially directly, basically. Um, contributed to so much extra TVL, not just on Pendle, but also on Camelot, right? So um, do you have do you have any like anything to say on like that integration specifically? I think I think the integration with Camelot is a very interesting one because it's a new territory that we were venturing into. So Sorry, can specifically you, can you just describe the integration as well? Because um, yeah, I'm not sure. familiar with it. <laughs> for sure. So Camelot is an AMM on Arbitrum. It's, I think, by far the largest one. Um, so with the with, with Camelot pools, um, we, we were experimenting with a new form of uh, yield-bearing asset to list. So before Camelot, we've only listed, say, uh, vaults and, and money markets. Um, but with, with Camelot, it's a new form of yield-bearing asset that we wanted to try out and experiment with. Um, so... Unlike the other yield-bearing assets, a Camelot LP token actually consists of two assets uh, and, and it's represented by an LP token. So going back to a typical AMM pool, right? You deposit ETH, USDC, and then in return, you get an LP token from the protocol. Mm -hmm. um, so we're tokenizing this LP token mm -hmm. into principal token and yield token. And we allow users to basically take a view on how the pool will perform in a year's time, for example. Now, just going back to the asset that we listed, the first asset that we listed was actually Pendle ETH. And then we also listed um, ARB, ARB, uh, ARB ETH, um, ARB ETH. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, generally, I think what we were trying to establish in the form of use case, right, was for users if they wanted to, if they believe that the pool will see more traits and the API is going to be better than what it was currently published, then they should buy the yield token of that pool, um, so that whatever yield that is that that the pool is earning can be can be can be can be streamed um, to the yield token. And then yeah. kind, of, to kind of talk about the other side really quick. I think uh, what's really interesting to me, especially uh, you know as treasury manager or whatever, and seeing especially people on on Camelot uh, or, or you know who 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 let's say a couple months back, I think Camelot uh, decreased their interests. I mean their uh, emissions because mm-hmm. obviously the rail token went up like two hundred x or whatever. Um, a lot of people obviously got concerned, like oh they're rugging us, quote unquote, you know. Why? Why the APY is going down? You know, and and obviously it was like what from two thousand percent to five hundred percent, right? Boohoo! But mm-hmm. but like that aside, I think the great thing is you know if you have those concerns as, as an LP, and you don't maybe want to uh, LP in Camelot because of that, right? Like you you might LP and then suddenly the APY goes down with Pendle and with PT, you can fix your yield, right? You can completely fix it for and and then Pendle has extremely long. Uh, maturity so for like a whole year you could have a completely fixed yield at however many uh, APY and you literally don't have to like worry at all that uh, whatever happens you will get that yield yeah right exactly yeah yeah well when just cut ahead of me because my literally next question was going to be when not speaking on behalf of umami but as a treasury manager like how, what kind of behaviors does this allow? But I think you just answered it in that, like you can provide liquidity without taking on um, these like really variable risks that are like related to trade volume, related to like emissions, like related to all this stuff. Like it just gives you more control to express what you need to express as a treasury manager. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and even to kind of like add to, to that just quickly, uh, I think with GLP, for example, we have, we have a large GLP position. And the last few weeks, everyone saw GLP APY go down to like 5% at the lowest, <laughs> but like staying at 10% for, for a whole month when it used to be 20%. And, you know, obviously that's kind of scary when you uh, a lot of your yield is coming from that. So, you know, we are now looking into hedging all of that on Pendle. And I think that's awesome, right? Very if there's cool. one person I would trust uh, on this subject of how to make money, it's Wenmoon. Well, speaking of of when moon making money sir you were the the main character over the weekend yeah i, I had a tweet go viral right <laughs> yeah okay do you want to pull I, that tweet up i told well, I pulling it up, i'll tell you guys this i told when after his tweet went viral i said congratulations i had one of those as well you'll spend the rest of your life chasing this high <laughs> yeah um, i mean up. it was I, I think uh just to kind of give i i think garrett can't pull up the tweet but oh I yeah I'll, I'll pull it up we did a little bit of a, um, there was like this trading competition that we did uh, with options. And obviously, like I, I trade a lot of derivatives. Um, and so this trading competition was on testnet. But I think it, it highlighted a lot of really interesting uh, trading psychology, not just in testnet trading competitions, but real trading as well, right? Like how to take advantage of these arbitrages, how to, um, you know, how, how, how if you're spotting like some irregular trading behavior, how to kind of uh, uh, 
you know, just milk that for all you can. And we, I've seen, I've seen that I've done that for for quite a long time, even in even in normal markets, right? And uh, and I had a lot of people popping up to me about like <laughs> getting into DeFi now from CeFi uh, to try and take advantage of of these kind of things. And I was showing them even in in prod how we can how how you know some of these these things exist. Wait, so was this this was all in testnet? This wasn't actually was this yes, real money? Yeah. No, no, this is this was testnet. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Like yeah, look, I mean, I think the only, <laughs> still though. <laughs> yeah, the only thing to take away from the fact that it was testnet is that, like, you know, when it's not real money, you are able to go riskier, you know, and go like balls to the walls more. But look, like when first of all, just like congratulations both both on your performance and like this tweet thread. But yeah, uh, yeah. I think the big thing, like, like just. I think the biggest thing that I took from your thread is just like in these new protocols, there's just an insane amount of mispricing. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think a lot of people, um, and, and and rightfully so, right? Like obviously, testnets uh, kind of behave in a much more erratic way than normal. But to say that these sort of things don't exist is just completely wrong, right? As soon as as soon as, I mean, I I made my uh, you know as soon as I got into DeFi, the reason I got in for a lot of it was because of so many just spot arbitrages that I found, right? And uh, even even on these like uh, options protocols, this this screenshot, I obviously kind of increased the spread a lot just to show the, the um, to make my point really clear, but, you know, it still does exist and you can still like make a lot of these arbitrage trades and, you know, a lot of the time people just don't see them and, yeah, uh, it's just it's just really interesting to, well, to see. I, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but what I found like particularly compelling about your story is like, look, like the arbitrage opportunities exist. Like that, that's the nature of being early in markets and inefficient markets, and like exactly. you know, yeah. it is what it is. But like, mm -hmm. what I loved about what you put in there was like to help us non traders really understand like what PVP means and like what it means to be playing against. The other traders and not like against the price or the asset or the macro and mm -hmm. like these things you're writing about about like noticing other traders behavior and first like swiping from under them and then realizing that that was like causing them to stop and so you realize like you want to nibble instead mm -hmm. like man i uh i just it's so easy to hear about like pvp and like this stuff is dangerous and all this stuff but like now now i actually understand what people are talking about yeah, yeah, I, I, that, that's something that like we see even in in normal markets a lot, right? And it, it's always the case of try and leave a little bit on the table, and uh, you know, the person that you're kind of <laughs> eating your dinner from will will stay, and you can continue. But yeah, so it's it's awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, congratulations again, both for the tweet and for what you're doing. And Jesus, like, if you guys want to learn about like. <laughs> Risk management, like I swear to God, like this is your guy. Everyone follow when. It also helped that markets just like crab the whole time, and your strategy, your strategy, just like you picked one strategy and it just was. Yeah, there. but he, why, that's why he picked the strategy. I understand, I understand, but we've like it was, uh, you know, like it's it can be like he got into a really good mental model and was mm -hmm. able to execute through there. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I the I think the the crabbing it, it was quite kind of obvious to me at the start of the month just because of how polarizing. Uh, usually for, for, for those kind of things, I always look at how polarized the sentiment is. And it looked mm -hmm. like, yeah, for sure it was going to be, uh, and it has been for a couple months um, straight up. But I mean, I mean, there are like ways that you can adjust even these strategies. And I, I kind of dug into a little bit in the thread, but um, you know, cause it never happened. I don't think it, 
paid much uh, progress to kind of talk about it. But, you know, we like my entire trades, we were buying like um, and in and, and this premier uh, trading competition, because now uh, we are seeing like bullish narrative again, uh, where like buying buying a lot more calls or, or you know, placing a lot more DGEN trades, because obviously, you know, I think I think one of the cool things again is the options are one of the only instruments where you can make money when the price doesn't move at all, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. When I was learning options, they told me that there's like five ways that it can go. It can go like straight up. It can go a little bit up. It can go flat, a little bit down, and, and straight down. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's perfect. Yeah, if you can, if you can just like get the direction kind of right. Mm -hmm. of where you're going like you don't have to be always right that's the great thing about options is you don't have to be perfect you just kind of like don't have to be com as long as you're not completely wrong so as long as you like don't get blown out in your in by going going straight up or down or catching one of those big moves typically you can manage your risk pretty well um, yeah and yeah. even for like a normal portfolio outside of outside of a trading competition there's ways to kind of frame it in a way where you you kind of have quote unquote no loss Right. In the same way that you place the limit order, right? If your limit order fills, you're going to be happy. But, you know, technically speaking, the price yeah. might have continued going up or continued going down. Same, same sort of thing can apply to options and you can kind of still, uh, you know, feel good about yourself. Uh, so I wanted to ask about like the risk competition. Like, how are you managing all your Greeks? Were there, was there like, was that built into the, um, the risk dashboard or are you uh, calculating all that at home? Yeah, so um, the risk platform itself had um, only only a couple of the basic Greeks, I think, um, like uh, Delta. I don't think they showed Gamma, um, and they showed IV, obviously, and stuff like that. And and so my my strategy, the straddle strategy, was just to essentially sell calls, sell puts, but uh, sell in a way that you know my Delta positioning is. Uh, as neutral as possible but even between weeks because the expiries were like week based mm -hmm. you know i i might have thought that one week was bullish and one week was bearish so then i took like more del positive delta positioning or negative delta positioning and on honestly like i i'm not i'm usually not even that good at delta positioning but that this time uh, even 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 when i was saying okay the price is going to go up like 50 dollars, it did and uh, so it was a lot of i guess luck involved as well and maybe we can talk about this with uh, Tien. Like, what do you think about this, the the markets for uh, like interest rate swaps between LSDs, right? So, say you want to play like Steth versus like Frax or whatever, and you want to uh, like get long or short the interest rate differentials. Um, is do you think that market is coming? I think it's still a little too too soon um, because. The way I look at it, there is still quite a bit of work that needs to be done around like the basic infrastructure. So, for example, one of the things that we're experimenting with is the like establishing a yield curve for ETH because mm -hmm. we believe that there is a growing confidence that the staking yield from ETH is going to be something like a risk-free rate for DeFi. Uh, and at the moment, there is no reliable source for... Um, yeah, just something of a yield curve for it, because uh, again, and do you do that through like a a future style product on? Um, I mean, what, I guess you would yeah. take the largest asset, right? You start with Steth and then build some sort of like future style product for the yield going out, right? Yeah. So the way we're approaching it is actually to have 
long data pools mm. uh, for the same assets. So we have for uh, SDETH, uh, 2023 pool, 2024, 2025, and 2027. And already we can already, like we can see the differences in the yield. And then we can already plot something based on the numbers that we derive from these pools. Um, so I think with more liquidity in the pools, we should be able to get a more accurate representation of how people perceive the yield is going to perform. And with this as a reference rate, then I think the trading activity around these ETH assets um, should potentially pick up. I mean, do you think it, but do you think the market is created in this sort of uh, like yearly expiration pool or would you rather see it in some sort of like Ave structure where both assets have like insanely high LTVs, like 99% LTVs. So you could essentially get like 50 X leverage on the assets. I'm not sure if they're um, serving the same kind of use cases. Cause I think for, for the, the, the example that you brought about with Ave, it's primarily to enable like lever um, so, um, yeah, say if, if anyone wants to increase, um, the exposure for, for a particular asset, then, um, going to Aave makes sense. And then for us, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really just expressing a view, I think. Right. Right. And then like once the market matures and you have these, these, yield curve products essentially then you can build then you can start to build more derivatives on top as well too i know it's a little bit early probably yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's i think it's early i think there's still a lot of work to do and we're very excited about a prospect of um like some of these possibilities yeah and when you actually mentioned that uh umami is looking at uh, at Pendle. I know you guys announced uh, the launch of your GLP vaults that are coming up. Um, like, what else is what else is happening with that? I know, I know that's coming up. Is, is that next week that that's happening? Yeah. So next week. I mean, sorry, this week actually. Oh. Uh, now, um, end of this week. So hopefully Friday or this weekend we should be able to launch all five different vaults. So BTC, ETH. Uh, uh, USDC, Link, and Uni, and the boosted deposits. So, like, plenty of ways to make yield. The 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 strategy kind of speaks for itself. Obviously, we have the data, and um, you know, um, we're gonna have low caps. I think at the beginning, because um, we're kind of like still making sure users are kind of safe. And um, yeah, I mean, I I would also love to, since since Tian is on the call. I mean, I would love to talk about maybe getting. Uh, some PTYT action on the GLP. I mean, uh, our vaults as well. No brainer. Yeah. No brainer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here's the treasury testing results that you guys posted uh, in the tweet. It looks like across the board, you know, you're getting 35 plus percent on uh, the the strategies that you're running. Obviously, that probably will compress as the TVL goes higher, but still, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, we should. We are still aiming for it to kind of uh, like uh, you know reach a equilibrium of around about twenty percent. But yeah, it's it's awesome, and obviously it helped by we had a great trader P and L. But I will also say that we actually stopped the. I mean, the entire 
test was done in the low GLP yield environment, right? So the 5% to 10% range. And then when the 50% range came, we just, we shut down the thing because we were done with testing and, and we were ready to like deploy for real. So uh, it's kind of, it's kind of awesome that, you know, even in those kind of times, we're able to kind of give out these yields, right? Uh, what do you think about the upcoming deployment of some of these like app chains that are coming to Arbitrum, right? So over the weekend or maybe even this morning as well, too, we had the announcement of uh, Snyder Chain, which is a it's like a layer. It's essentially like a DYDX style layer three that's built on Arbitrum for um, uh, to, to allow for like derivatives trading. Um, what? I, I mean, I haven't read this yet, but like, what? No, I'm just, I'm just wondering about like, like, so I, I guess my question here is like, as these app chains start to come, right? We're seeing okay. like, you know, like DYDX has their own app chain built on Starkware. Now we're seeing other, these other L3s be announced. Um, like, what do you, does this, does this like help or hurt the, the GMX environment going forward? Like as these things kind of get like pushed out into their own specialized environments. So um, I think... Uh, I, I'm not too too well versed in it, right? So this is coming from a complete noob, but it, it's it's sort of like um, a sort of closed environment where you can like uh, do do all your derivative trading, and and you know it's going to get faster execution. You're going to get cheaper fees, blah blah blah. Same as same, but it, it's kind of ends up being since it's so centralized, it kind of ends up being the same as a you know, just off-chain order book, which, you know, like Polymarket or something is like where you just deposit your funds. Or I think Rollbit is the same. Those kind of uh, things. Oh, we lost Win. Um, well, here, I'll just vamp for a second while his connection goes. Like, I, look, I, th I don't really understand. Like, I'll read more about this Snyder chain, but like, to me, that sounds like they're just like trying to create a L3 meme and get valuation based on it. Because like the whole point of like LT is, is that like you've be, you've created a environment that is not constrained by execution or all this stuff. And then like, I, I guess I just don't even understand like what we're trying to do here. Like the reason DYDX works is not is because they built it's just an L2 on top of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to do like a L3 on top of the L2. I, I don't know. I just the, to me, it's just like seems like a narrative like BS for people who don't really understand like the the how we're trying to build Ethereum. Well, I mean that that I, that Snyder chain I bring up just because it's being produced by Offchain Labs, um, who you know like does have some. Uh... Yeah. So again, I think like that is really about just like creating a narrative and like and much. I, I don't just from like understanding what a, we're trying to build with Ethereum, like layer three just doesn't make sense to me. So uh, when I think we lost you in the middle of uh, the kind of closed garden environment, what you were saying? No, no. I mean, yeah. I think I think uh, I, I, I'm not I'm not too like as I say I'm not too well versed. Maybe there is a a uh, maybe there is a great a great thing about having an L three and and maybe like ten years down the line we'll have L forty fours or whatever. <laughs> but but I'm I'm not really sure at this point, right? And but. I mean, even arbitral fees, if, if you're doing like thousands and thousands and thousands of really fast transactions, right? So if you're trying to get a centralized market making, uh, so a central limit order book, let's say, and these central limit order book uh, market makers are trying to put in however many thousands of transactions per second, 
then I can see why, uh, and, and trust me, I mean, we've been doing this development on, on Arbitrum, even, even, you know, the, the costs start to add up just for the transaction fees alone. And I think the finality and, uh, no, sorry, not the finality, the, the execution times, uh, you know, the, these become really, really, even, even, you know, the one second that it takes for Arbitrum to, 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 to submit your transaction, even that becomes really important. Like, uh, and, and, and I can, I can understand why, you know, there might be some value in that. And I think the centralized sequencer, even on Arbitrum, if you're closer to the centralized sequencer, if you're further away, it's, it's more, it's more like, okay, more problems, more whatever. So I can, I can, I can see how value could be created from that. Yeah. I mean, look, I only brought that up because it is like the, this is off chain labs, uh, mm -hmm. create, creating these new environments. Right. So they're kind of like leveraging the, um, like, like those things that you talked about, like being closer to the sequencer or, uh, some of the other issues, uh, that, uh, we just talked about, uh, they may, they might be trying to address these with some of these, uh, L3s that are coming. Yeah, again, I just I think that this L3 thing is like pretty nonsensical. And I think that it is just like trying to like trade on narrative or create narratives for Arbitrum. And I think that, um, you know, like it, it just doesn't make sense to like continue to build like layers and layers of blockchains further away from Ethereum like that, that like when's joke about um, layer 44 like is exactly yeah. the point. And like that is not the solution. Like I, I just... Uh, Every time I see layer three, like that teaches me a lot about the, the people, you know, shilling it. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe there is something too. we'll reach out to off chain labs and see if they can come on at a future date. Um, one thing that is pretty interesting actually that, that happened today is that uh, gearbox voted to add uh, curve curve finance V2 polls to uh, their ecosystem. So gearbox is a uh, composable leverage protocol. That you can, uh, essentially deposit assets and get yield on it or you can go in and essentially be like a little gearbox ninja and borrow those assets to go uh, yield farm with them so pretty awesome to see they are going to be adding uh, three types of collateral uh, which is crv eth cvx eth and ldo eth so what risks are you taking there because those aren't pegged assets right so if you take what is that 5x leverage on crv eth LP. Mm -hmm. What risk are you taking there? Uh, I mean, you're 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 essentially getting long those assets, right? So it depends on like what you're borrowing. Um, well, what do you mean you're borrowing CRVE? Yeah, I know you're borrowing C CRVE. So then it's just a, it'll be a function of what the utilization in the in the pools will be. Um, so like for those who who haven't used Gearbox, um, oh, they put up a. Uh, I guess like. So what Gearbox is basically doing is just providing like a layer of leverage on Curve, which like yeah, I'm a fan yeah. of pegged assets, but like no, I think don't it, think about it like this: Gearbox Gearbox essentially allows uh, yield farmers to borrow um, a lot of wh whatever they want, whatever kind of assets they want in a controlled environment uh, to go and farm yield. So uh, they can post up collateral and then borrow assets to go use in any part of DeFi. And yeah. uh, because the, all the the trades are being executed through the Gearbox smart contracts, the traders who are borrowing those assets can't run away with them. Um, totally get it. I just, my only question is this, like, now that we have this, like, 
huge channel to do up to 5x or whatever max leverage is like does this make these three assets less stable or more volatile i don't know i mean like i don't know right yeah. the liquidations the added liquidations uh it, it, it's it's always been a problem since leverage was invented in DeFi, where you're like please don't leverage my token and then suddenly someone adds leverage and then yeah. somebody leverages with like 99% LTV and then your token goes to zero, right? Uh, so it, it does contain, it does add risks. I will also say, you know, it's not just, you know, it adds risk for the borrowers or, or the protocol. I mean, I think, I think the borrowers are getting a great deal, right? Because if mm -hmm. you know what you're doing, this is, you're, you're able to basically arbitrage the rates. The guys who are maybe getting trusted is, yeah, the protocol or the um, uh, the other side, but it it all depends on the number one. The user activity. How how are they? Are they going full degen? And my, yeah. my rule is always, if if you add like ninety nine x leverage, people are going to use ninety nine x leverage. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's. I don't know what will happen, but yeah, yeah. it it for sure does add like systemic risk. I don't know what the answer is here. Like, I, I think that like Gearbox shouldn't be holding itself back like or whatever, but I do think that leverage is like a true tragedy of the commons problem, you know, where it's like each individual like is incentivized to like provide more, like put more leverage into the system, like make it easier, make it cheaper, make it like more accessible. But then like when everyone's doing that, like we have just like a more dangerous, less stable DeFi. <laughs> Uh, so Garrett, you actually reported about this yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, everything that I talked about has already been uh, said here. So I'm a big power user of Curve ETH and Convex ETH, the LP pool. So I'm going to be one of those like not Wen Moon style financial. Um, yeah, Wen Moon's a genius. I'm an idiot. I'll just 99x leverage if it's available and probably get wrecked. <laughs> yeah, I, the... I'm, I, I say, I say. I want to be clear. I pretend I'm a genius, but I'm also the guy that's 99x leveraging. We're hey. both going to get liquidated at the same time. <laughs> when is a testnet genius? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When people are watching, that's when I'm like, okay, it's time to. Did you at least? Yeah. Do you at least uh, stake up on Gorilla ETH, the one that actually briefly had value? <laughs> oh yeah, I've got, I've, I've got a, I've got to farm all these airdrops now so I can get some more. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the other news is that uh, Coinbase ETH, while we're on the topic of LSDs, has actually fallen to its uh, lowest share uh, comparatively versus all the other LSDs uh, since May 2021 uh, amidst all the like SEC lawsuits and everything. So See, that's what people are saying that it's about the lawsuits, but like I was in Coinbase ETH and I traded out of it, not because of any single lawsuit, but like why would I pay Coinbase 25% when I can pay like Lido 10% or Rockpool 15%? Like, it's just so stupid. Like, I don't understand why Coinbase didn't undercut everyone and do a 5% commission fee. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're charging 25% on their Coinbase ETH. Yeah. Wow. Like, it's so dumb. I don't understand. And that's why I trade it out. I literally don't care about lawsuits. Huh. Well, what, do they, what do they care about, right? I, if they care about market share and if they're trying to like suck out Lido, then yeah, I think it's, it's ridiculous. But I think their angle is, well, we are Coinbase and therefore we can charge a premium. But that's right? wrong. They're, they're wrong. Look. I, I, think, I think I agree. I, I think <laughs> uh, slowly people are realizing that 
maybe this is stupid. And hopefully maybe they'll, they'll, they'll reduce that thing. But I don't want, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want them to have too much market share either. So, <laughs> but Rex, to push back very briefly, like uh, when I onboard like my normie friends and family, I, they go into Coinbase. If they're just like playing around there and they see that like there's a service to do this and they've not even installed MetaMask, there is a pretty big market of like extremely dumb retail. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's true, but like, I'm not gonna like be happy with Coinbase for scalping like our parents. <laughs> Very good business for Coinbase. So uh, right now they have 1.14 million ETH uh, in TVL, and that has declined a little bit from a peak of 1.24 million. Uh, but based on that, they're earning about 25 million dollars in revenue. Yeah, but I mean, again, like this is just like so penny wise, pound foolish, right? Where you're saying like, okay, like I we have all this ETH and I want 25% and all this stuff. And like, okay, the result of that is you're over 2X more than Lido. And the second anyone can trade out or like withdrawals are active, like everyone does. Like, I don't, I would so much rather have 5% of like Lido's size share than 25% of like, Coinbase's size share. <laughs> well, it is it is getting a little bit wild. I mean, all the all the money that these companies are about to make uh, is just pretty crazy. One story or one commentator uh, posted over the weekend that Tether could earn more than BlackRock this year. BlackRock notable because they're uh, launching their Bitcoin ETF, uh, and Tether is earning. A ton of money on all their stuff. I mean, they have close to what, like seventy or eighty billion dollars, and uh, they said that this rate tether could pull in, pull in nearly six billion dollars in profits this year, uh, while BlackRock is uh, not doing so great, about five point five billion. So that is yeah, not doing so great. Yeah, not doing so great. Five point five billion. But I think that impetus. I think a lot of companies out there, like if you're a bank, right, and you see tether, this like shady offshore. Uh, dollar company making an extra $5 billion, $6 billion from just issuing a stable coin. That's a business I want to be in. If I'm a JP Morgan, I want to be in that business. I want to make all that money. And uh, you know. yeah, I mean, look, this is very much a business that you didn't want to be in though, three years ago. And yeah. that's nothing to do with regulation or whatever. This is just like, literally, like Nate Grossi, like, huh, you're dunking on BlackRock. But like, literally, all you're doing is commenting that like, <laughs> Treasury rates are higher than um, BlackRock's like IRR, you know. <laughs> so like, <laughs> there's like a hilarious irony, which is that the government was been trying to kill Tether, and instead, yeah. just by raising rates, has ended up making it more powerful. Exactly right. If they really wanted to kill Tether, they should send rates to zero forever. Like, if I'm a bank looking at this, like my takeaway is not like, holy shit, I need to issue a stablecoin. It's like, holy shit, I just need to lock up more capital so I can buy more treasuries. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know the thing about uh, the thing about Tether is they they essentially get all that money for free, right? Like, yeah. No, I mean it's 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 such a racket. Like they literally, all of us that are holding Tether, like we're like it's just dumb. It's so dumb. I mean, yeah, I'm using it to buy bitcoins. The funny thing too. Yeah, yeah I it, it's almost it's almost as if like you're a Steth hole. You're like Steth comes up with like. Or okay, I'm gonna use Fraxeth ETH, but like Fraxeth, you have like no yield is going to it. If you hold Fraxeth, all yield goes to like stake Fraxeth, right? And so if if you just hold Tether, you're just enriching the Tether Corporation. I'm sure they yeah. have some deals. How banks work though? <laughs> yeah, no, Tether must have some deals with some of the exchanges to kick back 
big deal, I'm sure. They don't keep all that six billion. That's probably too much. Why? Well, it, it's a highly competitive marketplace. If I was a stable yeah, who's competing with Tether? Everybody else. Well, they're not doing very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I was a stablecoin issuer, I would go after Tether by offering like kickbacks to whatever exchanges. I think that was in the document. Like, that's not working. <laughs> yeah. Um, or whoever holds Tether, like large amounts of Tether, just kickbacks. We're like, okay, we'll give you 2%. We'll keep half. And But but that's the thing, right? Like the, the state of the market is, is that like, I'm willing to hold Tether for 0%. And yeah. so I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because people want leverage in the system. No, because I I'm, I want stable exposure, not ETH exposure. Right, right. Uh, but it does lead to like the, the amount of tether that in, increases into the system is the amount that you can get leveraged on whatever sort of assets you have. You can't get leverage like without stable coins. There's no way to get really effective leverage in crypto. I guess. I don't know. I mean, for me, I've never once used stable coins for leverage. That's not why I use stable coins. I don't give a shit about leverage. Like, I, think, I think Sam means because to get leverage, like on your ETH, you need to short USD to buy uh, ETH, right? Yeah. Or, or short I mean, one thing. I, yeah, I, I, I remember talking to the Tether guys, actually, and they, they said, I was like, okay, if stable coins didn't exist, what would people leverage on? And they said gold. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. I didn't yeah, know you, just lever you leverage on something else, right? Like leverage on Bitcoin, leverage on like your mortgage, mm -hmm. leverage on like. No, it, it doesn't work like that. You have to have like a reference asset that you're trading against, especially like. I, when... What are we even talking about? I'm just saying the reason I hold stable coins is not for leverage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, there's some other stuff that happened, but uh, like some Coinbase won a Supreme Court ruling. But really, that's just about, arbitra or about um, arbitration. No, actually, we all should be disappointed yes. <laughs> that Coinbase won that one. Yeah, it I means know. that instead of being able to sue Coinbase, we have to go to like their that's private right. judge that they pay. Yeah, yeah. not great. Dude, our fucking arbitration is the worst thing ever. Take it from yeah, me. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, some other stuff. SEC approved a uh, 2x Bitcoin strategy ETF for uh, which don't get your panties in a tussie. Uh, these just means that they take the original um, uh, futures Bitcoin ETF that they have and they provide 2x leverage on it. So it's not, like I saw some people giving some really bad takes about how like, oh, they're allowing leverage in Bitcoin. Like they can't even do a spot ETF. It's like, wait, two different things. Um, and yeah, so we'll end it there. Uh, Tian, thank you for coming on. Win Moon. Thanks. Thanks, well. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Till the tide returns to the Squidland. Squidland. <laughs> Squidocalyx. Come on. If someone's not going to say it with confidence, I'm going to try to get weirder each time. Okay. Let's get weird. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow. And uh, No, 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 no. We'll be back in three hours ooh. for a very special. Wait, no. He's posting about it on Twitter. Tetranode is going to come teach us how to build a uh, DeFi protocol and talk to us about JPEG. So, do not miss it three hours from now. Awesome. Okay, we will be back then. Come back in three hours and uh, we'll see you back again in a bit.